welcome back. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's how armchair starts every time. Sorry. We should do that. Let's just steal a welcome from all of our favorite podcasts. Oh, I can't do it from WTF, though. Because that's like, he's the... Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> this is Chasing Sunday. We're our very own podcast um, <laughs> that that is trying to be very, you know, very specific and very individual. Um, anyway, it's a, a podcast uh, by and for worship leaders and church creatives uh, to help them get off the treadmill of uh, running from Sunday to Sunday and uh, find uh, real freedom and, and spiritual health and growth uh, in their walk with God. And, uh, and that's... Uh, yeah, that's what we do on this It's podcast. an amazing we've we've had quite a lovely season so far. Yes. I can't believe we have been able to drag these people onto our show kicking yeah. and screaming. Um yeah. they haven't quite come kicking and screaming. They've they've come willingly. They've actually enjoyed the conversations. Yeah, and then they also leave sometimes over eagerly. Uh, they're like, "Oh, are we done? Are we done yet? Okay, I got it. I have to leave." Uh, contractually, uh, we have fifteen more minutes. Yeah, that's what I say to them. Yeah, off yeah. mic. And then and then we just sit there and stare at them awkwardly. And that was the case uh, with the guests on on this week's. Uh, oh, episode. definitely not. Yeah, no. This was we probably could have. We probably could have done a two or three hour episode uh, with uh, with these two just phenomenal women, um, uh, Allie Lay and Debbie Swanson. Um, they're both involved uh, down at Denver Seminary uh, in one way or another. Uh, Allie Lay uh, graduated from the Christian Spiritual Formation and Soul Care Master's Program at Denver Seminary. Um, she's a trained spiritual director. Uh, she loves creating space for individuals and groups to encounter God in transformative ways. Um, she, uh, she leads retreats, she teaches, she preaches, uh, and has her own spiritual direction practice, uh, working, uh, particularly with female faith leaders and, and with moms. Um, so, uh, she, um, yeah, she's, we get into that a little bit, which is, kind of one of my favorite parts and yeah. one of my favorite parts of any episode yeah. we've really enjoyed i really enjoyed that part yeah yeah uh and then uh debbie swanson um also just uh a- an amazing person um she's very passionate about accompanying people uh as they seek to know god more uh and know him more intimately um she's a trained ignatian spiritual director and supervisor uh and we talk a little bit about ignatius uh and and the influence uh, that Ignatius has had on Debbie. Um, she actually has a certificate of Ignatian spiritual direction. Uh, so I, maybe I, I'm going to go get one of those uh, too. You can't. Um, they can't. You, they, they're out. <laughs> they don't give them to you. Yeah. She, uh, but yeah, Debbie leads retreats and um, she offers spiritual direction and, and uh, uh, has her own uh, formation ministry. Uh, that, that she leads uh, and she, she teaches Christian formation and soul care at Denver seminary. Um, and as a part of the soul care initiative there at the seminary uh, through a ministry called the Praxis. Um, and we talk about that a lot. It's a, 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 a spiritual formation cohort um, that, uh, that I went through uh, last year. And that's how I met Allie and Deb. And, um, just, it was an amazing experience. It was a a great chance to just sort of slow down and, uh, and stop and listen to the things that were going on in my own heart and soul. And, um, and, uh, Allie and Deb certainly, uh, helped create that environment. 
and um, and make that just a really meaningful uh, eight nine months for me. I think is what how long it was. Um, so uh, we, we'll talk a little bit about the praxis. We talk about. Uh, spiritual direction and spiritual formation. Uh, as Paul said, we talk a lot about, uh, women and, and their role in ministry and, and, or sometimes their diminished role in ministry. It, this is, like I said, we could have talked for hours. This mm-hmm. was a fantastic conversation and, uh, maybe we'll, we'll pro- not, maybe we will definitely have them back, um, at some point. So oh, for sure. Uh, I'd love yeah. to. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Paul, before we, uh, before we kick this off. No, I can't wait to get into it. So uh, let's just jump in here with Allie and Deb. Woo! Allie and Deb, thank you so much for being on uh, Chasing Sunday. We're excited to have you guys. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, so that's that's how we start. So you guys can say hi to you. But, hi. Uh, yeah. hi. We're glad <laughs> yeah. to be here. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, we'll start. I, I would love to hear a little bit more about your backgrounds. So um, kind of where you've been, what your relationship has been like with the church and God and worship and all those kinds of things and and uh, and kind of what you're doing now um, as that relates to that story. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'll let you guys, whoever wants to go first, you guys can arm wrestle for it or, um, go right ahead. I will lose. (laughs) Debbie is a CrossFit champion. And so I would never, ever want to arm wrestle her. She's very strong. I grew up Catholic. And so for a lot of my childhood, I think we went to church a lot and God was very, um, I would say that God always existed. There was never any doubt that God was real, but God was not present or interested or kind. And it wasn't until I started going to Young Life in high school that I began to hear a completely different, you know, picture of who God was. And then got into a ministry in college that was a Presbyterian ministry. And really, I would say that's when I began to get to know God and studied God and was in Bible studies and led Bible studies and really discovered a personal experience of God, a personal relationship with God um, that was really beautiful. That was a really sweet growing season for me. And in that season became really, I mean, what what it was was prophetic words, but I didn't know any of that. I didn't come from a charismatic background. And so really started hearing different things about roots and concern about the depth versus what we see the fruit. And what I saw was a Christian church that was really focused on fruit, but very little that was focused on the roots and the soil and how things actually grow healthy fruit. And so really became very interested in this image. And then from there, study on what was, I would later learn, is spiritual formation and soul care. And that led me to Denver Seminary in my mid-20s to get a master's in Christian spiritual formation and soul care, which is where I met Debbie, who is one of my amazing professors. And in that was trained to be a Christian spiritual director, which I've been doing for the last decade. And I've had my own practice. I work a lot with women leaders, a lot with moms. Sometimes there's an overlap, which is fun. Um, And from there, have gone into working with Christian leaders. So for the last few years, have been leading the Praxis and the Abbey. So the Abbey is a um, interdenominational ministry here in Colorado, inviting leaders to deepen their life with God. 
We put on retreats. We have a nine-month guided soul care experience for pastors and faith leaders to rediscover life with God apart from work for God. And so I do a lot of retreat leading. I do some occasional preaching and teaching. Um, I do a lot of spiritual direction and then have recently stepped out of leading the the Soul Care Initiative at Denver Seminary and the Abbey to do a little more kind of freelance type work. And I have pretty young kids. I have a three-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old. So I'm spending a lot of time with them. But have since moved over into definitely a Protestant experience of church. And worship for me, I think, has has expanded in a really beautiful way over the last 20, 25 years of getting to experience God in all things. And that worship is less the building or necessarily the act of, even though I love the act of worship, right. but experiencing God in the context of my everyday life. And yeah. how do I worship in that way? And how do I experience God's love and presence yeah. in that way? That's great. Uh, yeah, I we we did a, a fundraising event last year um, and, and we shared – uh, just some stories from the work that we do, but also just like the statistics about like, and you guys probably know, like the the rate at which, you know, pastors are leaving, you know, not just leaving the church, but sometimes even just leaving the faith and, and all that. Um, and, you know, we mentioned, you know, that, that a lot of pastors mentioned like they don't even have a relationship with like a personal relationship with God anymore because they've been doing all this work mm-hmm. for him. And, there were people in the room that I, I mean we've we've all lived it so we understand it a little bit more but there were people in the room one of the, like the guy that was running sound for the event was like what i had no idea like the people that are that are on that platform teaching you or leading you in worship or whatever it is they're doing like sometimes they're probably the furthest from god in the room um so i just that 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 delineation, and we can dig into that a little bit more too as we as we talk. That delineation between a, a life with God versus the life for God. I think that's that's just so. There's so much to unpack in that. Yeah. That that yeah. I feel like has led a lot of a lot of pastors and worship leaders to that place of just utter burnout and and just giving up. So yeah. Um, now now, Debbie, how did you get into this work? How how did that path look like for you? Um, from my very beginnings. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Callie, I was raised in a Catholic home. My mom and dad actually met uh, during World War II mm. in Northern Africa. Wow. My mom was from Italy, and her father was in the Italian Army. Okay. Then my dad was stationed over in Northern Africa, and they met in the American Hospital over there. Okay. So they married. They came back here. Uh, his roots, his home roots were Baltimore. And so okay. I lived a very Italian Catholic life in Baltimore. And it Which was- I think we can all agree is the best type of Catholic. <laughs> yeah. That's probably I like- mean, in I like, this, is, this is absolutely horrible stereotypes, but I've been watching The Sopranos recently. <laughs> I've never seen The Sopranos. Okay. So understanding like sort of like, oh, this Italian Catholic thing, it's yeah. got its own like- yeah, it's got its thing, doesn't it? Yeah. There's a can we um, oh, of course. on Netflix there's it's called The Offer and it's the hmm. it's the story of how the Godfather was made uh-huh. and all that went on is the true story and how what they had to go through and how it involved the mafia and okay. but you know in working with the mafia the the director had to take the word mafia out of the screenplay because it had such an it would you right. need to watch wow. that okay all about Italian Catholics all right all about Italian okay fascinating. Yes. all right so, fascinating anyway so, <laughs> anyway, so sorry uh, that's to, okay to, to really, but. um <laughs> just grew up and just continued going to church doing my thing I mean I would have I would 
ask, I said, would God, if you were really real, turn that lamp on. And, and of course, that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> so I got married, I uh, married a midshipman from the Naval Academy, and we be- embarked on a nuclear submarine tour. And um, I, yes, I was, it was a surprise pregnancy while, you know, about two years after we were married. And I was think I was planning to go to dental school. And so, you know, I wasn't sure what to do. Anyway, I decided to, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this. And so I had my, during my pregnancy, I had this thought, well, Eric's gone a lot. I I have to go back and do something religious Mm. to raise this child. Just remembering my own background. So I started going to church. But the executive executive officer on the boat and his wife, we heard rumors of um, that they found Jesus. And I was really ugly. I said, well, don't invite them because he they always bring Jesus to all the parties. And that's <laughs> so not fun. <laughs> it's right. Isn't that right? Jesus is a, Jesus is a major a buzzkill. Buzz yeah. It ruins everything. <laughs> But to make a very long short story short, Bonnie, the wife, started sharing her her spiritual journey with me. And it was it's literally, I don't have time to go into it now, literally miraculous. I mean, mm. like, whoa. That was the first time I ever heard somebody talk about their relationship with God where it actually impacted their life. Mm. I mean, mine was, I guess I would have to call it a deistic view where he did his thing, I did my thing. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. fact that he what he did in Bob and Bonnie's life was so hands-on. I thought, that's what I've been wanting my whole life. Mm, yeah. And so mm-hmm. they were with the navigators, and um, the boat, the guys would leave for three months, and we wouldn't hear from them. So for three months, Bonnie discipled me under the navigator um, ministry mm-hmm. that they were in. And I really thought that um, when Eric came back, he would divorce me because I had changed so much. Really. So somehow he knew that, she gave me a four spiritual laws tract, and I prayed it like the day they left or shortly yeah. before that. So he knew something had happened. So he was, you know, he was doing his thing on the boat. We came back, and about three days later, I said, Eric, I have to tell you something. I, I became a Christian while we were gone. He goes, well, I kind of figured something happened. <laughs> and he said, and I got to thinking about it. And while I was on the boat, I I gave my life to Christ too. Wow. <laughs> And so he was a good Baptist because he was under the water. He was, <laughs> he was back, <laughs> three baptized. <laughs> that yes. so counted for double. Okay? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes. So he came back, and we just continued fellowship with the navigators. And then two years later, he left the, the Navy. Um, we were involved in small churches. But the, probably the, the most significant is we got involved with Bible Study Fellowship. Um, I'm not sure oh, if yeah. you're familiar with that organization. And that, I would say, was the foundation of my formation. The woman who started it had been a missionary in China. She was a single woman her whole entire life. She was placed in a concentration camp during the Boxer Rebellion. And all her, and she came out of that much like Corey Tenboom. They were almost mm. contemporaries. Um, she came out of that with a relationship with God that I'd never heard of. She would refer to him as her husband because she didn't have one. He was her beloved. I mean, her notes that she wrote just had a different tenor than most of the stuff I had been reading or listening to in church. And you know, in, in the absence of Eric, I was able to really enter into at some level the relationship that she had with God because I, I was a widow. I remember in the hunt for Red October, 
Their Russian captain said, I made my wife a widow the day I married her. Mm. And when you're in the submarine service, you're, you're on your own a lot. And so my relationship with God was nurtured by Miss Johnson. And then we got more involved with Bible Study Fellowship and started um, classes. And we moved to Denver and began the young adult class. And I absolutely loved it. I love the study. I just I I told every class I taught if I I want to die teaching the Bible. So if that happens mm. tonight, just let it go. <laughs> this is the way I want to go. After 21 years, is that um, sort of like a, a strange way of a DNR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me go. Just let me go. What I want. Uh, after 21 years, Eric's job changed, um, and so he had he started commuting to Albuquerque because there's n- nothing nuclear. He, he even went to Home Depot and said, he said, well, what are you good at? What kind? He said, I'm an engineer, and he said, uh, what kind of engineer? He said, nuclear, and he goes, I think nuclear's on aisle 15, <laughs> but I'm not sure. <laughs> so he was commuting to Albuquerque and back, so it left me with a lot of free time, and I missed studying, so I took— I just decided to take theology class at Denver Seminary. I wasn't. I had no plans to go to Denver Seminary. I just wanted to get back into some kind of study. Well, little did I know, um, I took Theology 101, and I had just come off a of church staff. I was uh, on the staff of Riverside Baptist Church when Pastor Rick Ferguson was mm-hmm. killed, and I was his assistant. So that was a whole mm-hmm. five-year journey mm-hmm. in and of itself. Uh, so mm-hmm. after I came off staff there, I was, well, Lord, what should I be doing now? And um, as we were studying the, the image of the Imago Dei, it, it just I saw that we were created to be image bearers of Christ. So I thought, that's my purpose, to be an image bearer of Christ. But that didn't answer, how do you become a more accurate image bearer of Christ? And so I, we were still in that section of the image of Christ, and I was reading this theology book mm-hmm. <laughs> about four inches thick, and it just came to me. I, it said, what I heard in my heart was, Debbie, don't ask what you should do, but ask who you need to become. Uh, and mm. I'd never heard that language before. So a friend of mine encouraged me to go and just take a class or two in the formation program. And I said, well, what's that? She said, Christian formation. I said, well, what's that? <laughs> so I went in there that first in that uh, fall semester, and for the first time in my life, I had language to put around the relationship that I was having with Christ because I felt like I was this closet mystic mm-hmm. that I couldn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. And even if I did, they wouldn't under, right. they didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. So my mentors were books like from George MacDonald and Oswald Chambers and you know, Miss Johnson and all these old dead guys that spoke profoundly into my life and and kept that that life with God going. Yeah. In, in my in my heart. Well, they only had a certificate at that point. It was a two-year, but then they eventually developed a full MA. So I, I graduated with a full MA, and um, Dr. Demers and Howard Baker came up to me, well, I guess, in April of the year I was graduating, and I had written a curriculum for my, my project thesis um, on Ignatian spirituality for Denver Seminary. And so they asked me, I didn't know what they would, but they asked me to come on board and teach that. So uh, that became my next season in life. It was, mm. 
actually teaching that. And then I'd always, uh, Howard always talked about this uh, dream he had for the spiritual formation within Denver and for pastors. And Allie came along and he talked to Allie, he pulled this folder out, blew off the dust and said, do you want to get this going? And mm-hmm. so Howard and Allie and myself and Stephen and, and Charlie and now a couple other people, um, it, it came into being. It, yeah. I mean, literally God formed it. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kept saying, what do you want to do here? We have a heart for the pastors in this town and we see them, if not burning out, Go, just running on fumes mm, and yeah. not being able to give what they would like to give, and they don't know how to receive in order to first forgive. How many sermons have we heard on receiving from God? Right. So um, that's how the praxis in the Abbey yeah. came about. Yeah. It's awesome. I, yeah, I, I was part of the last uh, – last year's cohort, the delayed one uh, of, of Praxis, because, uh, yeah, you guys took a year off, uh, rightly so, for the pandemic and for the pandemic. Like we – like <laughs> In honor of the pandemic. In, in honor of the <laughs> pandemic. You guys took a break from Praxis. Yeah. And so, uh, no. So I, yeah, was was fortunate enough to be a part of it this last year. And, and it's – it's I love hearing these stories from you because now I'm starting to put a lot of pieces mm-hmm. together. Uh, you know, in terms of, you know, things that you guys shared, you know, during the, you know, during the gatherings and all that kind of stuff, but, but also just how it came to be. I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing and, and, and very much needed. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the work that, that Paul and I do, um, in, in working with, with worship leaders and, and all of that, like we, we see, yeah, the running on fumes. I mean, I've, I've experienced that myself. Um, you know, like people say, like, where's, you know, where's your tank? Like, how are you, are you filling your tank up? It's like, well, I've been running on fumes for so long that, like, a lot of times a quarter tank feels full. Yes. Right. You know, yes. and right. that just, you can only do that for so long. Um, so, do you go. think we un- unrealistically have expectations about how we always have to run at 100% capacity? Like, in terms of like how full we have to be, is it still, basically a scarcity mentality where it's just like i i'm not where i need to be in terms of my energy level for god or my soul care or whatever um do you find that that that, that's the case with with people who are coming do they still or or how how should we be thinking about soul care i mean i suppose it's this idea of well we always want to be operating at 100 percent health right is that really the goal or is it to integrate the fact that we'll have these ups and downs of ministry and we just don't know how to integrate them in a way that's that's healthy what i mean what do you what do you see with people who come to you and they're just kind of like faced with that sort of stuff i think we do this with a lot of leaders and leaders are very hard on themselves mm. and i think that soul care often becomes another thing for leaders to feel bad about themselves, like mm-hmm. I'm not doing enough, or I should. I just know I need that silent retreat week, but you know, maybe next quarter or something yeah. like that. And I think I've heard soul care called the art of arts because it's so dynamic. Other than God as God is, there's nothing more dynamic than a human soul. And so it is going. It's not a science. It's not going to be. We have to look like this all the time. And I think we're always moving towards and away from God. We talk a lot about that in Ignatian spirituality, and so the idea of mountaintop Christianity and mountaintop leaders is 
it's it's not real. It's an mm. illusion. Mm-hmm. And so for leaders, soul care is an invitation to live in a relational way with a God who is inherently relational and wanting mm-hmm. to connect. And so we're trying to integrate, like you said, and and practice wholeness and a with God life, like you said, Brian. And that's the goal of soul care. It's not eight steps to always have more energy. Mm-hmm. But it's becoming more aware of who God is and who I am and how we do this work together instead of me running on, you know, a full tank. We had a leader in the praxis this year say, I used to think of it as I'm a battery and I just kind of plug in with my quiet time and then I just go all day until I'm empty and then I plug back in. And I think that's how a lot of leaders are taught about soul care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of leaders don't know that they're empty because that's all they've ever known. Right. That's true. Um, yes. And so I think it's helping, first of all, people to become aware that there is something different, a different way to live, and that this relationship is is not, you know, me for God, but it's so much of God with me. So instead of saying, I'm doing this for God, I wake up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, what— mischief of love are we going to get involved mm. in today and so it's a weeness in the wow. relationship and and it it's 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 life-giving because it's a partnership wow. which returns us back to how we were originally created we were created to live in partnership mm. with god and to cre- reveal him to this world that he created and so helping people see it's a partnership and you know, we don't have to plug back in because we will deplete. It's ebb and flow. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to fear that, but knowing where we go to be renewed and refreshed and refilled. Mm. I love that word you just used, Debbie, that what mischief of love can we get into together? I mean, that just makes it so much more playful and 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 exciting curiosity and all the things that really like – counteract sort of the antidote to the striving and the uh you know the battery analogy that you, yes. that you used yes. you know which is not just how I think how we think about soul care but how we think about resources in general so of course it would just uh carry over into something that can't be used like that like a soul yeah. like we just can't use that way that's fascinating i love that word yeah i i i find it one of the one of the struggles that you guys I think identified in the praxis and and one of the things that that I think fights against so much of like Western Christianity and and the, the things that we're battling today you know in in church and church staff and all that kind of stuff is this idea is like there's no we, we want we want a bow on top of something or we want like we want a diploma we want like tell me when I finished like tell me when I got it right like what what do you say to to those those folks that you come across who you you know mentor or, or you know do spiritual direction with or or are teaching like how how do you help combat that um within someone who's who's just been in this mindset of like okay i just need to check this off my list and and move on to the next thing are, are there any words of advice other than just like stop it <laughs> just <laughs> stop stop doing that <laughs> I I go back to, and this is because personally, this is a verse that continually calls to me. It's Isaiah thirty fifteen. It says, "In returning and resting, 
you shall be, the word is saved, but it can be the same word as be made whole, Mm. find freedom. So in returning and resting, you will be made whole. In quietness and trust, you'll find your strength. And and I think the 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 thing that I battle with is spiritual formation and spiritual, you know, replenishment is not something we do, it's something we receive in that relationship with God. We need to be spending time with God, not not necessarily doing anything. It is in that connection that he imparts himself to us and we impart ourselves to him. And in that we're made new and whole. It's a dy- it's a it's a dynamic relationship that is give and take and out of that life is given mm-hmm. and experience and that's what we give away to to others. A dying world doesn't need more information. A dying world needs life. Mm. And so yeah. we be- in our union with with God, we get to give that life away, but we first must receive it. At the praxis, we talk about not being channels of God's grace, but a reservoir. We must first swim in the reservoir ourselves and then splash it out to others. Instead of a channel and implies that we're just tubes and we don't experience anything. We just, you know, the tube, the stuff just runs through us. We have to experience it first and then we can give it away. How do you, um, Coach, counsel somebody who you're inviting them to be a reservoir of grace, but they live in a world and they live and they work at jobs who still have all the expectations that they can deliver uh, measurable achievements in spiritual maturity in other people, right? How do you, how do you coach them to, to handle those tensions? Ellie, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Such a good question. I feel like that's so much of our work yeah. at the practice. Direction, yeah. And, yeah, and indirect. I think spiritual direction is where we we hold this tension the most. Mm-hmm. And you're really learning a new way of being. You're not mm-hmm. just learning a new way of doing things. You're learning a new way of being with God. And I think for a lot of leaders, you, one, have never experienced a God who just wants to impart things to you, wow. who's yeah. not calling you into battle or any of these kind of weird <laughs> metaphors that we use for God. Like the idea of that God just wants to sit and be with me for the sake of being with me. I don't know a lot of leaders that know a God like that. And so for leaders who are in a tension of, well, I have actual, like this is my job too. Like my paycheck depends on this. My professional role depends on this. I think we're constantly talking about how do you separate who you are with God from what you are doing in your work for God and giving them a sense of, because most leaders, it's completely enmeshed when they've come to us, especially in direction. They don't know how to hold those two things in tension. So we're constantly trying to give some space to, all right, here's what God, how God actually sees me. And here's how I can be a reservoir while also realizing there are things that I'm doing in my job that are part of my job and letting God integrate that on God's time. But I think we're teaching people a totally new way of of being themselves with God, and we're reframing a lot of who God is, and that takes a long time. And we're a quick fix culture, especially in churches. You want a conference, you want a guru, you want a book that you can (laughs) give to your whole congregation. And it's painful for a lot of leaders. It doesn't feel good for a long time. There's a lot of disintegration that takes place. Yes, um, unlearning. Un- unlearning that has to take place. And that's why we we held off on praxis. We realized praxis is something that's experienced and received. It's not a program. And it would 
would not do the the cohort any good to try and do this via Zoom. I'd we'd rather not do it mm-hmm. because they wouldn't receive what we wanted them to mm-hmm. receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I remember when going through the the praxis with you guys how much I struggled with that idea of being a reservoir and not a canal. Um, and that was, I mean, I'll probably get emotional about it now. That was an, that was such an emotional moment for me because I like, that was my life. I mean, like you, you are, you are filled up to, to pour it out. Mm-hmm. Like none of it is for you. Mm-hmm. Like this is all for other people. Yes. And so to have, the thing is, is like, you can't, but you can't give anything if you don't have anything in you at all, you know? And so the the idea is not that it never, ever gets poured out. Mm -hmm. It's that you're giving of the overflow. Like it's, you know, allowing yourself to be filled up to this place where like things spill over and they spill over into other people's lives and, and they're all enriched. But the thing is, is like, if you just are continually spilling over, just continually letting it out, you're not a reservoir. And so uh, that's been a huge, still a huge struggle for me. You know, I, I remember, you know, probably the first, first couple of Sundays that I led worship after hearing that, you know, that analogy, there were a couple of times I caught myself like in a moment where I, I normally would have just been like, all right, I'm just going to let everybody have it, you know, saving some of those things saying like, no, you don't need to share that right now, Brian. Like nobody needs to know what you learned this week about this thing. Like keep, keep that, keep that one. So it's like, okay, I'll keep that one. And I've, lo and behold, like I didn't wake up on Monday morning feeling like I'd been hit by a truck, you know, mm-hmm. like, yes. you know, yes. I didn't feel that, like that sort of emotional hangover that you get when you, when you go through something like that, like when you're just constantly spilling these things out into other people's lives. And then there are times, but it also made me a little bit gun shy than when I was in a situation where someone was asking me like, okay, Hey, well, how about you share something about this? I was like, I don't know if I'm ready. You know, whereas before it would have been like, oh, sure. Yes. Here you go. Like, here comes Brian. He's a mess. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, being able to reserve some of that has been, uh, it's one, just really eye-opening. I'm not saying that I do it perfectly. Like, there's still moments where I'm on stage and, you know, I'll share something and almost immediately regret it. Like, oh, that wasn't for anybody else yet. Like that was just a seed that still needed to grow. But anyway, I don't mean to just, let me just talk no, about I, myself. No, it's, um, it's perfect. What, yeah. what I can't, it, where my mind is going and it's this stuff. And I, I see, hopefully I can articulate it a little bit because um, what I see you both doing just in hearing about, it, I've never gone through the practice, you know, I've gone through, you know, I've been with Brian as, as he's gone through, but understand some level of the kind of, work that's involved with this type of spiritual maturity and why it is um, actually so difficult for people actually in a predominantly male-oriented profession and don't like the experience of being in this ambiguity. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I recently 
uh, heard something I had never heard about. You're familiar with like the hero's journey, like Joseph Campbell's, and everybody talks about the hero's journey. And I had never heard about the heroine's journey. Mm. Um, and that there was a whole other host of researchers and people who are writing about the archetypes that exist from the, the feminine leadership that says, no, if you're going to go, the hero's journey going to get you only so far. Then it's going to come to this place where you may have to go through the heroine's journey. And for men and women, because both of those journeys, I believe, exist for both men and mm-hmm. women. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And and that's the thing for so many. It's just so uncomfortable for men to think about them going on a heroine's journey. But that's about that ambiguity and birthing and the pain and the suffering and, and, and everything that goes there. But it can't be, it can't be muscled through. You talked about the kind of warmth uh, imagery mm-hmm. yeah. that is so prevalent and mm-hmm. so just sort of um, everyday and ubiquitous um, that we don't even think about it when we're using it. Um, okay, so the question in here. <laughs> Sorry. Here we go. It's we're, enough we're just for there. you to uh, acknowledge, uh, yes. I think, that there's a nurturing piece yes. of so, self-care. Yes, that's, that's all I want you to talk yes. about. Yeah. Yes, I think that's what we run up against a lot. I mean, like you said, it's a male dot. It's a patriarchal yeah, yeah. environment. We come from Puritan roots here, and there's a right. deep fear of this being selfish. And that they're, we're trying to, quote, win the world back to some of these really destructive metaphors yeah, that we yeah. use for what we're doing is that God has – I think when we make God exclusively male, God becomes harsh and, you know, a boss and all these mm-hmm. things that we're tra- – general. We're trying to go right. out and do these big things. Yeah. And we forget so often of what Jesus did was go away yeah. and commune and nurture his own soul and said no to people and left when they wanted him to stay. And all of these things that we miss the very feminine experience of a God who's neither masculine or feminine, but both. And I think there's a deep fear, especially among high-level male leaders of, yeah, that's navel-gazing. I don't have time for that. (laughs) Or we get a lot of with Praxis. I want my staff to go through that. Right. <laughs> like, I want my people oh, to yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, That's like a great thing for my people to do. But yeah. the sense of that you can't go around it. You have to go through it. And a mm. lot of this is like you're saying birthing womb metaphor. Like it, mm-hmm. it happens in darkness. Mm-hmm. And we believe in a God who's already doing the work. So if you can separate, God doesn't need me to do all these things. And God wants to work in me as I'm doing work with God, not for God, with God. It's a completely different experience of life with God. But a lot of these men have never had an option to do anything else. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they're bad or wrong. It's just they didn't – their formation has been opposite of that. And we put a lot of pressure on our men, especially our men leaders. Yeah. Because it is about achievement yeah. and striving. Yeah. And that's our culture. I mean, it's our culture. It's our church culture. It's our background. And this feels really foreign. It feels really selfish. It yeah. feels really scary. Right. It feels like you're saying the ambiguity, right. not comfortable in ambiguity, not comfortable with feelings. And a lot of this, like we're saying, is dynamic. So it's going to look like Brian. It's going to look like Paul. It's going to look like Debbie. It's not going to look like yeah. your pastor saying this is how it's supposed to look. And we haven't been given permission to get to know ourselves and the fact that God speaks to us through ourselves enough to for people to really settle into doing this kind of work. Yeah, well, and if you have like a culture that's outright hostile to femininity in yeah. Christianity, yeah. that would say uh, be afraid of certain things because it, of 
it's perceived feminizing Absolutely. of men. Absolutely. You know, and they're like, oh, it's feminine. I mean, the yeah. whole scandal around Mars Hill yeah. and stuff like that. And that yeah. that being unearthed and people dealing with the trauma of of what's happening there comes from um, a real fear and hatred of the feminine that exists. And so I imagine you see that um, – and and it would only make sense that that women would be the ones to to help show us the way out, you know. I think Richard Rory talked about in 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 one respect. It was like because they understand an embodied faith earlier than men do. Um, and I go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, it's not like men can't. It's just it's just when we're looking for somebody to lead us into new areas and new places. Um, they're not going to be the ones who got us to this this point that we are in. Um, so um, I wanted to hear a little bit more. You said you're going, th- you're doing this sort of leading with with women and with moms, especially. I'm super interested about it because I can imagine that's a that's a group of people who feel often very marginalized and like, oh, my my wife, I've got two kids. My wife for sure feels that way. It's like, oh, I, I've not, I don't have anything to contribute because I'm just taking care of kids. Yeah, right? I'm just a mom. I'm just a mom. Just a mom. like, yeah. how, how do you, how do you drop the leadership out, uh, or, or the, the care, or the, the maturity in, in, the, in that group of people out? I love that you're asking that question. Yes. <laughs> I just love that you're asking that question. I feel so seen by that question. <laughs> oh, um, that's what Paul does. It's just good. <laughs> yeah. It's a yes. good question, and I think. Yes, I think one when you say it would be it would be natural that women would lead us here. Ironically, mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of we- women voices because mm-hmm. guess what they were doing? They mm-hmm. were raising kids. Mm-hmm. They weren't in the monastery writing these books. And I mean, there are a few that we have, and there are a few that we think were probably women that were not credited as authors. But yeah. there's not a lot of female voices and leadership in these spaces for women who are trying to integrate. What does it look like for me to be a mom? What does it look like for me to have other giftings? And how do I do that in a season that's so demanding? Mm -hmm. I have little kids right now, and I have no idea if parts of me that feel like they're dead will Mm -hmm. ever come back. Like, it's just so heavy and so much. So how do we do that for women? I mean, I think we've Child raising and child rearing is an invisible labor, and a lot of domestic labor has been invisible for a long time. And so I think just even asking that question, it makes me feel seen because it shows that it's I'm not invisible. And I think we also have a lot of different social pieces of the super mom construct that makes women feel like – I think there's a little bit of a reaction with women in my generation, a lot of the moms that I do sit with in direction of I can't do it all. I can't. And I we've been sold this kind of you should be able to do it all. And that just creates another sense of shame. I can't be at with my kids right now and having this conversation with you. And so mm. giving women mm-hmm. permission to say that there are trade-offs in this season. I think giving permission to, for women to say, this is an exhausting, completely depleting time. And I feel really unseen. And my husband doesn't know how to meet me in that because it's completely different for him. And my husband's a great partner, but he doesn't know what this is like because he's not in it. 
And I think you're also given this, well, you'll have time. You'll Mm -hmm. have time, but this is like a really short season. And I think letting women wrestle with the ambiguity and the ambivalence of motherhood, there's a lot of ambivalence around motherhood. And we're told that that's not good. Like there are days when I don't (laughs) want to be with my kids. They're really hard. I don't want to be a mom because it's really hard. Yeah. And it's not, I think people also kind of minimize that and are like, oh, they're not giving you positive feedback. I'm like, no, my kid is pooping in my vents. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be around that. Like, these can't be my best days. Like, my kid oh. trying to, like, climb in the toilet is just, there's got to be yeah. more, guys. There's got to be more for me. And I love the work that I do. And I feel like a lot of women were taught that we can be anything. And then, and then you have these kids and it's like, you're just so torn. So... In terms of the question about how do we see moms, how do we honor moms, I think giving space for moms to feel a complexity of emotion is probably the first thing. Because we're given this, especially the Christian mom. Mm -hmm. And I live in an area that's fairly conservative. There's a lot of homeschool, and it's just hashtag let them be little. Everything's amazing (laughs) about motherhood. And so when I'm crying in my car at Target, and my kids are all, like, we're all three crying in the car. (laughs) I don't feel like, I feel one, like I'm not doing a good job. But two, if that's connected to my formation and my worth with God, I feel like I'm not cut out to do the work that God's created me to do Mm. instead of letting this be an experience of me being formed by God. I don't think anything will form you as much as being a parent. And especially I tell this to my moms all the time who feel like I'm just here being a mom. I'm just here picking up stuff off the floor and all the things, you know, nothing is going to form you more than the work God's doing in this really small, isolated season. And I agree with Allie. Um, I'm on the other end. I have grandchildren and one just graduated from high school. He's beginning college. Um, I knew in my own heart because of the way I'm made, I could not do, be a mom and work because I I could, I I would have to give everything a hundred percent. And I knew I couldn't do that. Plus with Eric being gone, I didn't have much choice. And so I, but I made the conscious choice that this was my job. And I would say to people, this is the hardest job you'll ever love because it really was. And I got really angry when people would say, you're just a mom. I said, no, I'm not just a mom. Let me tell you what I do. I just, you know, I I gave it back because I put myself on the same level during that time as an employed woman because I was giving my all to my family instead. Yes, there were so many dark days. I can't. Oof, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. No, so it is so hard, you. especially when you're a single mom. I mean, like I was a single married lady. Um, it it was extremely hard, and yet I agree with Allie. It is the very thing that God used to form me. And I I don't know if this is true or not true, but that verse where. Paul said, and women shall be saved through childbearing. It came to me that what I think Paul was saying, that women had the same opportunities of formation that men had outside. God was going to form them in their their jobs Mm. as moms. Mm. Our, Our spiritual director says, Debbie, you don't need to read all the books on spiritual growth because your curriculum is your life. Because God meets us in our life, where we are, with what other circumstances we have, that is our spiritual growth. That's our 
our platform for growth. And so we, if we embrace that fully, the formation will come because God will meet us in the context of whatever we're doing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And then I also, because I can look back, I can see seasons where, and I do have some young women, but I see a lot of middle-aged women now. But a lot of young women, what I will tell them, I can only tell you from my journey, there were seasons in my life. There were seasons when I had to stay home with my kids, and I could not choose to do the things that I wanted to do. But later on, I was able to. But if you had told me that, that wouldn't have been much comfort, because I'm in the middle of this rat nest, and you know that coming is just too far. What I'm finding in middle age is women, uh, they're... Their husbands are retiring, their kids are gone, they're empty nesters, and they truly don't know who they are. They have been spending their time as wife, mother. Their their sense of identity is always in relation to something or something else, mm-hmm. someone else. I'm somebody's wife, I'm somebody's mother, I'm the dog's caretaker, I am so-and-so's employee. And when you ask them, I ask them all, each of them, what do you like? What are your longings and desires at this point in your life? And I get the blink, blink, and crickets. No idea. Crickets. Yeah. And I, so I talk about, have you ever seen Runaway, Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts? So. It's a woman who, she, she went through a number of almost weddings, and she'd get to the altar and she'd run away. Huh. And so this Richard Gere comes in, and he's he's a reporter and wants to do a story on her. And he realized the reason she did that, because every relationship, the men told her what she liked. Oh. And especially in the diner. Right. It, it showed a series of scenes while she was ordering eggs, and the men, the the server would say, honey, how do you like your eggs? And the men would say, over easy. The next man would say, she likes them scrambled. And so Richard Gere came up to her and said, I'm going to ask you one day, how do you like your eggs? And you're going to tell me. Uh-huh. And so that's what I tell these women is in six months, I'm going to ask you, how do you like your eggs? What is it that you're desiring and longing? We pay a lot of attention to longings and desires in spiritual direction because that reveals who they are and the, and the desires God has for them. And so in that, they can begin to discover it's not a midlife crisis. It's a midlife spiritual awakening. Ah. They have this brand new relationship with God and themselves that they've never had before, ever, because they're living with God, not doing all their stuff for God. And so that's where I'm finding myself with a lot of women right now. Oh, I think you've nailed it. Like, I I just, um, are you familiar with, there's a song called Somebody's Something. It's by Casey Bowles. Singer song. She wrote this actually about her mother, um, and I, I don't remember how I heard about it because it was about um, she would always forget the lyrics every time she performed it at a certain point in the song mm. over and over again, and it had to do with parapraxis. That's what it's called. Parapraxis is the is the the thing about. <sighs> unconsciously forgetting something when mm. it has an emotional yes. um, importance Component, to it. Yes. And uh, this, the song she wrote is she's, she's always been somebody's something um, about her mother. She's never been, she kind of how she grew up, but where's the line? She's been, she's been everything but alone, a daughter, a lover, a wife, a mother, and she's lived every life but her own. Uh, and she'd say that's just called, being a woman, she's always been somebody something. And I think, uh, like those lyrics, come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> I like lost it when I heard that. I think it was, anyway, I won't go into that. But anyway, but the, but the, 
and and what what's so interesting is that you mentioned about the ambiguity that they step into after those roles mm-hmm. are gone. I've got two daughters. One is entering her senior year of high school today, you know. And so when I dream and I try and talk with my wife, I was like, hey, what do you think? You know, what's going to be the time afterwards? And she doesn't have an answer. And I'm being such a good husband trying to come up with ideas and suggestions. <laughs> and all sort of, what about this? What about this? You and could was, try your eggs over easy yeah. <laughs> or you could have them fried. Yeah, it's the same you thing. Can... <laughs> it's like saying, what do you want to eat tonight? And then I just describe everything in the fridge. You know, it's just like, that's not helpful. doesn't make me want to eat anything. Yeah. And, and I just realized there is a piece of it that points back to me where it's just kind of like, oh, you – don't know what to do with a moment like this. And you don't like the ambiguity that somebody else is feeling. Right. So you're going to try and solve it with the way you know you would try and solve things for yourself. But that's very wise. I mean, that's very self-aware. I am pretty self-aware. You know, we're going to take a commercial break <laughs> for me. <laughs> I, don't, I can't let something like that lie. It's just, I've got to poop all over it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You, you know, you're right. I am. Right. I'm a great husband. Danny, cue the too. music. Yeah. Oh, man. So, anyway, well, we can move on from that somehow. Yeah. It's, I, I, yeah I, I, I love the way that this conversation has gone just because we do – I think one of the things that, that I forget about and, and have handled wrongly, even when I have had, you know – female worship leaders who have worked with me or for me or whatever, like there've been times where I, you know, I haven't always known how to handle that and how to talk to them and how to, you know, how to express, you know, like, like a lot of women in ministry, worship leaders in particular, like they kind of get pigeonholed, you know, into this one little thing, like get up on stage, sing your songs, make sure they sound pretty, you know, like, and so having some, having a little bit more insight into those, those struggles, I think is in, in the ways that not that you have, you know, succinctly described how women think. I don't think anyone can describe how anyone thinks. Um, but that's, I think that's going to be, that's hugely helpful for me. Um, probably even too, just in how I mm-hmm. relate to my wife. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, so thank you for, for that. That was, that was huge. Um, and really good. Um, any, I had some more kind of questions about just this idea of spiritual formation and, and sort of the responsibility of the worship leader in that Um, because worship leaders are, you know, most of us are, are fairly creative. And you mentioned, you know, like this, this is the art of, you know, art or whatever you said, you said it way, way back. (laughs) Yeah. The art of arts. Um, This, this can be because it is so, you know, kind of rooted in, in feeling and emotion and all that kind of stuff, uh, there aren't going to be a whole lot of senior pastors or, or lead pastors that, that are going to be like, you know, hey, let's figure out how we can incorporate more spiritual formation into how we do things on Sunday morning or whatever, or for our congregation. What what are some ways that that maybe the artists within our communities can start to sort of infuse that into our gatherings? Um, 
is any any advice you could give on that like how we can start to incorporate these things into our communities uh through through the way that we use art and and music and things like that I think first and foremost I mean it's going to come out of you and your own formation like we've talked about so you're the reservoir and it overflows from that I think second everything you do is forming people spiritually it's mm-hmm. just a matter of if you're aware mm-hmm. right. of what that formation is right and so a lot of what we're talking about in terms of the church culture and the water that we all swim in it's because of how we've been formed spiritually and it's taking a step back to say, what are the narratives that we're creating here? What are for everything from how your worship space is set up, like your sanctuary set up, the music that you're singing? I mean, I think worship leaders are so key to creating an environment for people to encounter mm-hmm. God, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of the heart of what you're doing. Right. But it can easily get reduced to, let's sing this song to create this emotional response in somebody because so-and-so is giving a sermon on this. And, yeah. and so thinking about how are we – Every single part of this is is formational. So as artists, let's be curious about what we're doing and how we're doing it and what it's communicating about who God is. And everything from what are our worship leaders wearing? What are the songs that we're singing? What are the types of language in the songs? I mean, a lot of there's a whole stream of worship songs that never even talk about God. They just talk right. about me. Right. What am I telling people about that? And again, you know, just a strategy and I think an intention around that is huge that you're you're constantly forming people but how are we forming people and what are we inviting people into here I like um having scripture and inviting people to enter into it doesn't have to be even a passage but even a word or a phrase not just thinking about what that phrase means but entering into it oh what's the Matthew 11 28 um, in the message. Oh, this is Are you weary? Verse. Oh, yeah. sword drill. Yeah, sword drill. Yeah, right. I, 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 is it those like learn the learn the unforced rhythms? Yeah. Yeah. Are you tired? Yeah. Yes. Burned out. Take take two sentences of, of that, and mm-hmm. don't have them just meditate on the words, but enter into that. What like you're in that scene? Jesus is talking to you, and you, what does it mean? to experience the unforced rhythms of grace and inviting the congregation to enter into a conversation between God and them while you are either playing instrumental music or you're reading the scripture, using our imaginations to imagine that we are with God, in God during that. Or the other thing I like is uh, Visio Divina, using Mm. art where you can, as worship leaders, can unpack that art to reveal and teach people how to do that so they can go home sure. and do that. That would be, even if you had it printed in the bulletin or up on, on the screens, it doesn't have to be very long. Two minutes is enough. And letting them know that all, all of the world is revealing Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not just mm-hmm. Christian mm-hmm. art yeah. necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's yep. all, yeah. all of art. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways, you know, Christian art may be hiding more yeah. of God than we mm-hmm. than we think, just mm-hmm. because of the the lens that we've squeezed it into, yeah. right. you know. And right. and yeah, that's that's so true. I didn't think about, it, but that how to incorporate Visio Divina more, uh, more in a sort of approachable and really accessible way to a weekly worship, mm-hmm. you know, which I just don't think we think about. 
We think mostly about the art that's being used in churches right now is mostly as another means for marketing. Yes. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. And graphic design. So yes. graphic design, very different from Visio Divina, yep. yes. right? Um, because yes. their, their purpose is two different purposes. Sure. But I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And that's the purpose of icons. Uh, it's said when yeah. you, mm-hmm. you're looking at an icon, you're reading the icon. And mm. an icon is not drawn, is written. Because the artist has something he wants to, he or she wants to say about revealing the Lord to whoever Mm. is reading the icon. And so having them actually not just see what's on the front, but enter the picture, enter the art, enter the icon to encounter God is a different way of looking at art. Yeah, That we can actually encounter God. Just like we can encounter God through the words on a page, the words on a page are flat, but if we enter the word, it has depth Mm. and meaning. And doing that with one word, it can unlock a wonderful experience. I, I, and I do think, to your point, there's it can create a crisis that um, is very, I mean, it can be disruptive, mm-hmm. but it can also be very, um, uh, you know, redemptive, transformative. Like there is a chapel in Italy, it's Giotto's Chapel, which is this fresco uh, that is done in such a way, it was the first three-dimensional representation of people in space. Mm. Up to that point, it had all been two-dimensional, bodies floating just without grounding. When an artist started to engage the uh, um, discoveries in science and in physics that would that would talk about, you know, ground, uh, how shadows fall, how different things in perspective – it changed people's understanding of themselves in relation to yes. space. Yes. And so there we go. Oh, wait a minute. When that started to lead to discoveries about the moon and the stars. Maybe those aren't celestial realities, but they're physical realities. And then where is God if I put him in a three-tiered universe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where is God now? Yes. And that's just as controversial as uh, Emmanuel, God with us sort of message. Yes. Changes your world. Like, will disrupt the world that was like, oh, wait a minute. I, <laughs> I'm disoriented now. Yes. Um, and I do think we could have moments like that mm-hmm. that could that could be more possible but they're going to feel that way too yes. they're not going to be they're not going to be comfortable anymore you know so Jesus was very yeah. disruptive oh absolutely well and i think that's that's one of the responsibilities of of the worship leader and and of the church leadership in general that we've sort of uh, we've sort of let go of like you know in in our efforts to create you know the, one of the one of the phrases we used at one of the churches we worked at was, you know, we want to create a distraction-free environment. Mm-hmm. And we changed that to like, well, we can't eliminate all distractions. So it's a distraction-limited environment, you know? And it's like, but maybe maybe that's exactly what we need, mm-hmm. you know? Like, we need to create some disruptions, some distractions for people to to pull them out of this very, you know, sort of flat, you know, one- or two-dimensional Christianity um, and, and incorporating – you know, incorporating the arts and incorporating things like Visio Divina and, and things like that are great ways, you know, to, to get a lot of these people, you know, like, let's, let's pull each other out of this, just sort of like, you know, again, it's the title of the podcast, but just chasing Sunday, like just running from one Sunday to the next, while everything else is just sort of like, there, you know, so, um, but, but it also, there's a responsibility to be able to do that in a way that, you know, yeah, we do want to be disruptive. 
we don't want to like, you know, send someone running out the back door of the church. Like <laughs> yeah, these people are freaks, you know? Like, so just trying to strike that balance and, right. and, and it, it, cause it has been a long time since, you know, since the church has done things like that. Like when was the last time you saw a sculpture in, you know, and suburban evangelical megachurch, you know? Like, um, so yeah, it's, it's finding ways to do that. You know, bring people along, shepherd them through it, yeah, you know, gently. without, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think ultimately what you're doing is inviting them to move from passive consumer to mm. active participant. Mm. And Absolutely. that's what spiritual formation yeah. is, like, that you are a participant here. And it's not up to Brian to give me something beautiful that I can then feast on for the whole right. week. It's about mm-hmm. Brian yeah. to lead me into the presence of God, that then I experience God there. So it's still a lot of pressure. But I, have <laughs> I mean, to, it's not even up to, to, to Brian to do that, right? But, like, get, but that changes the reservoir yeah. back to the reservoir canal. Yes, then right. it's not, oh, it's up to me to share this thing right. to help yeah. you. Yeah. It's we're all in this together, and these people are participants here. Right. Not this consumer where you just show up on Sunday, sing a couple songs, right. get this message, and then leave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a big trap that a lot of worship leaders – get themselves into is like, how do I get these people to worship? Like, how am I going to make everybody worship today? It's like, I, you can't No, No. You know, that was a big thing that I had to let go of, you know, a long time ago. We may have talked about this with Tommy Mm -hmm. in another episode where it's like, there's, there's absolutely nothing I can do on this stage. That's going to make you want to worship more. My job is simply to say like, Hey, God's here. Holy spirit's here. We'll, we're all here. What are we like? Mm-hmm. How are we going to engage with that now? Right. You know, through it's going to be through these songs, it's going to be through a message that's going to be given, it's going to be through a story that's told, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not, it isn't up to me, you know, like it is my responsibility to go through that formational process myself, you know, and 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 then invite other people, you know, into it in a, you know, in a corporate setting. And I think that's the key is invitation. Mm. God is always inviting us and wooing us and pursuing right. us. He's not demanding anything mm-hmm. from us, but he's inviting us to join him. Yeah. And we can simply invite them. Yeah. And yeah. they can say yes or no. Mm. Yeah. I th- I just think what an amazing tagline that would or an invitation that would be to is like I want to invite you to worship God in a distraction-filled zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We are not going to do anything about that. We're just going to invite you into this place, yeah. into a moment, because um, you either want it or you don't. Yeah. Like you yeah. either, you, and it, it, it may come and go and mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I, uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's true. One of, one of the, my spiritual mentors, uh, um, the woman who taught me theater at CCU, she said, you will never learn how to worship God in a particular time in a particular space until you learn how to worship God in every space mm. and every time. And I was like, ah, oh, that, that's stuck with me for yeah. sure. Thank you both. Mm-hmm. So, so very much. This was, this was awesome. Um, and, uh, and I, <laughs> I'm good at podcast hosting. <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. I'll leave it in. Yeah, leave it in. That's the real stuff right there. Um, I know that that a a new Praxis cohort just started, um, but how can people find out about how to participate in that um, whenever the next one is? More information about the Abbey. Where can we find where can we find these things? 
Yes. The best place to go is the Abby's website, which is www.theabbeycolorado.org. You can find out about Praxis cohorts, um, seasonal retreats that we host specifically for faith leaders and pastors in the area. We have a lot of churches bring their whole staff to those. So we do those around the liturgical year, Advent, Lent, um, other fun things that are going to be popping up from there. So theabbeycolorado.org. Okay. Awesome. We'll make sure that we uh, point people toward that. And because uh, it, 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 yeah, I can't say enough about it. I know there's, I'm still processing and will be processing probably for the rest of my life, the things that I experienced uh, through the praxis. And, and Paul has the the disadvantage of hearing me, you know, process <laughs> through that stuff out loud. Um, oh, the but, beneficiary. <laughs> uh, but I, I, yeah, especially for for a, a you know a tender little artist like myself who's been kind of you know beaten up and 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 all that kind of stuff it was a and and continues to be just a breath of, of fresh air for me so uh thank you both for for that but um i would love for more people to be able to get involved in that and i'm sure you guys would too so um so thank you so much well for thank you for asking us yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. For us. so much of course, thanks of course. for the work you guys both yes. do this is yes. good work well, good work Oh, that, I mean, it was really good. Yeah. I probably one of my favorite conversations, um, no offense to any of our other guests, but, uh, that was, that was one of the, my favorite conversations that I think we've had, um, uh, on the podcast and, and, uh, just the, their passion, um, uh, not just for what they do, but for who they do it for. Like, yeah. That is, is very evident. Um, you know, a couple of things that, that I wanted to highlight, you know, this idea of the reservoir and the canal, um, you know, even, even doing this podcast as I was thinking about it is, you know, is kind of a, a test of that for me, you know, because you know, it it's, that's always been my MO. Like you just, as soon as there's a little bit in there, go find some place to pour it out, you know? And so, um, so yeah, finding, finding that balance of like, am I doing, am I doing this, whatever this is, whether it's a podcast, whether it's leading worship, whether that's, you know, grabbing coffee with your team, like, is that something you're doing out of the overflow of what God is pouring into your life? Or is that what you're doing with the leftovers, you know, and just trying to, to scrape by, um, I think that's, that's where we start to get caught in that trap of, of chasing Sunday is when we, when we're just doing this on an empty tank, um, it's, it's easy to, to feel like, you know, a quarter full is, is enough. And it's, it's yeah. Not. And I, I think that they, they approached it with such mercy, just a kind of a lot of grace too, because what Ali I think recognized was that it can just be another way of having a shame cycle where it was like, Oh, we realize that we're low in the tank and we're, and we're just, and we know we should, we know we should be in the reservoir or know we should be serving from a reservoir, but here's where we, here's where we're living and here's what's expected of us. And, um, so I guess we just have to keep going. And so being able to have a, some picture of what it looks like to get out of that destructive cycle was great. I, mm -hmm. I actually think too, the kind of, uh, blessing, I suppose, is the right, is the right term for how she, um, blesses women who are moms and, and also Deb too, women who are just maybe in, in a season of their life where kids are gone 
and they don't know who they are. They don't know what mm-hmm. to do next. And to step and to show them and to name them um, as, as children of God, but also to have leadership qualities, have desirable qualities, something they, they can contribute um, is, is something I really appreciated. There's sort of the, the mm-hmm. realness um, in which they approached that and, um, and talked about it. It was really great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, thanks Allie and Deb yeah. uh, for, for doing that. And, um, uh, if you do want to find out more about, uh, the Abbey, um, or about the Praxis, um, which are two just fantastic, uh, soul care and spiritual formation initiatives, uh, that, that both Allie and Deb participate in and, and help facilitate, uh, you can go to the abbeycolorado.org. Um, I think Allie mentioned that, uh, in the podcast, but we just want to make sure, and we'll make sure we put it in the show notes as well, but the Abbey, A-B-B-E-Y, Colorado.org. Uh, yeah, if you are, if you just need some time and some space Mm -hmm. to, to work on your stuff, um, that's a place you can go, uh, where, where you will get plenty of both. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, worship leaders go, go check it out. And, and get involved in that. So, um, anyway, uh, on, on that note too, I, we also yeah. have the green room of, on yeah. our own, which is if you're looking for other ways, um, to get with a community of people who are intentionally trying to grow in their leadership, they're intentionally trying to move to a cycle of grace where they're living from this place of the, the reservoir instead of a canal. Um, that's what the green room is all about. You can, you can learn more, at our website, greenroomleaders.com. Um, and so if you, if you realize that another book or a podcast or, or some web seminar is just not cutting it, but what you need is, is real community and help. Um, please check us out. We'd love to have you a part of our next cohort. Um, so check us out at greenroomleaders.com. And, um, I was thinking we might, add a little bit of a extra music clip here at the end, Brian, as we, mm-hmm. I, I know maybe a lot of people are not familiar with Casey Bowles, which is that artist I, I brought up when we were talking to Allie and Deb mm-hmm. that her, her song, somebody something. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll play that on our way out, but is there anything else that we yeah. need to cover before we go? Yeah. Uh, if, if you are enjoying uh, chasing Sunday and, uh, and, and you are, uh, you feel like, uh, this is a life-giving uh, podcast for you. Please do uh, give us a, a rating, uh, subscribe to the podcast, like us, what, whatever it is that uh, what, on whatever platform you listen to us on, whatever their uh, you know their little button is for for you know making sure that people know that you like this. If you could click that, it just helps us uh, kind of spread the word and get the word out about, uh, about chasing Sunday and, and let other people know. Um, and if you're a worship leader and you need any help or just some encouragement, you can always go to torncurtainarts.org, reach out to us. We'd be happy to, to grab a cup of coffee with you or, uh, find some time on zoom or on the phone and, uh, and, and chat a little bit. So, uh, so yeah, that's it. I hope you guys have a great, uh, a great week. I don't, I don't know what, whatever, whatever time of the week you're listening to it. I hope that the rest of it is great. Enjoy great days. And uh, here's Casey Bowles, little clip to go out to somebody, something. She's always been-
Facing Sunday is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and distributed by Resonate Media. Your hosts are Brian Davis and Paul Romig-Levitt, with editing and mixing by Danny Burton. Torn Curtain Arts is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your tax-deductible gifts make our work possible. For more information about TCA and to partner with us in our ongoing work, visit torncurtainarts.org.